Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Danny Augustine started her private practice with two clients on the side before shifting into private practice full time. She had had a series of experiences in traditional settings that left her feeling frustrated, and she decided that she wanted more freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance, so she started her own private practice. How did she do it? Well, for one, she followed the steps in my program, the Start Your Private Practice System, but I'll let her fill in the rest of the blanks. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice System. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place. So let's get started. People ask me all the time, is now still a good time to start a private practice? Well, truthfully, yes. Since COVID started in March of 2020, we've had close to a thousand SLPs start their own private practices through our program, the Start Your Private Practice System, and Danny is one of them. This is a time of upheaval, and SLPs are asking themselves, what do I want? And what am I willing to go back to? As SLPs in traditional settings, we are at the mercy and the whims of our employers. They decide how many people are on your caseload, what types of clients you see, what hours you work, and how much you're worth, meaning how much they are willing to pay you. Most people went to grad school dreaming of working in schools, hospitals, early interventions, and maybe someday having their own private practice. But for some people, like Danny and myself, we got started much earlier because, well, we just couldn't take it anymore. Lots of SLPs are sick of the red tape, sick of the paperwork, sick of working unpaid overtime on evenings and weekends. People are dreaming of spending more quality time with their family and friends, not having to work late or be distracted by work on nights and weekends and being able to afford the lifestyle that they want. Something happens when you decide 
to take control of your life versus letting others control you. Taking charge of your professional, personal, and financial life is empowering. And guess what? It's not as hard as you may think. In this interview, Danny describes the steps that she took to get her private practice off of the ground and her motivations for doing so. And she does so in a no-nonsense, straightforward way, which I really enjoy and hope you do too. As you listen to this episode, be thinking about how her story might parallel yours. Listen for commonalities, because if she can do it, you can do it too. All right. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes. So my name is Danelle Augustine, but I often go by Danny because people have a very difficult time with Danelle, especially my kids that I see. I am in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, good old capital, Louisiana. And the name of my practice is Thrive Therapies. So Danny, I'm so excited to have you on for numerous reasons, right? I've been kind of following your private practice journey because you are a member of Start Your Private Practice. But more recently, you have just come onto the Instagram scene and, in my opinion, are a breath of fresh air talking about money mindset and finances and all these kind of things that SLPs need to know about and hear about, but no one's talking about it. And then here you came. So tell people, where can they find you on Instagram? So on Instagram, if you're kind of feeling, seeing my beautiful face and hearing my beautiful rants, uh, the handle is at speech goods, no space. It's kind of like home goods, except you replace the home with speech. Yeah. I love it. Perfect. (laughs) And you have a podcast that just launched. Tell people what the name of your podcast is so that they can look it up on iTunes. Yes. So the podcast, it's speech goods, a speech therapy podcast. When you search for it, it's Apple Apple is very strange. You have to do a capital S for speech, no space, capital G for goods. So speech goods. Uh, and a lot of what we do, which actually we're going to be switching this up soon. I'm going to get to interview Jenna, I think in a month or two, um, just interviewing real life SLPs, doing real life awesome things and how you got there. Uh, and just no fluff. As I say it all the time. Let's just really talk about real life and how we're getting the dang thing done. I love it. So, so look her up obviously on Instagram and also in the, in podcast land today, we're mostly going to be talking about private practice and also, you know, finances and that kind of stuff. But could you take us back to the beginning of your career as an SLP, either about grad school or your CF? Like what were you doing in the very early days? Well, Jenna, everybody, it started with a sweatshirt. Let me tell you that it started with a sweatshirt. And it's not the sweatshirt I'm wearing now because it's the sweatshirt that I wear all the time. But it was actually an undergrad there. The CSD communication sciences and disorders had a sweatshirt that they had made and they had communication sciences and disorders in IPA written underneath CSD. And it was actually a friend of mine. And I kept, I would always like joke, joke with her about her sweatshirt. I'd say, what does that say? Come under fudging? Like that's what I'd always mess with her, mess with her with. And then at some point I stopped being my obnoxious self and actually listened to what she had to say about what CSD was. And then I took a class and that was it. I fell in love with it. So I actually started out with CSD slash SLP in undergrad. And then I was fortunate enough to, I was able to get into grad school straight out of undergrad. And then I've had, I've had quite a few job experiences as well. So I've actually worked in four or five different places, even in the short time of my career too. All right, cool. 
So what did you, what were some of those settings and like, what did you learn from those settings that might have shaped your interest in private practice? I had a lot of unfortunate experiences. If any, anyone who knows me knows I'm not a, I, I can be comfortable, you know, uh, my my idea when I got out of grad school was to stay at one place for a few years. I, I really love community and friendships. I mean, that's part of why uh, me and my husband ended up staying in Louisiana is to be around friends and family. So that's something that was, that's very valuable to me. But a lot of, I kind of feel I was almost just, my path was paved to private practice um, because I felt like in a lot of the jobs that I had, usually when I left, it was for some sort of moral or ethical reason. And those were not easy decisions. And it did allow me to get a lot of experience in different settings. And I think, you know, when I had that moment of I'm done, like I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing. Although it wasn't fun going through some of those experiences, it allowed me the confidence and allowed me the know-how to be like, I can go, I can go do this. I love it. And unfortunately, I hear that all the time, right? People say that I just was unsatisfied at work, not because I didn't like the patients or clients or the kids are not necessarily like because of the coworkers, but because the working, you know, conditions or, you know, um, just being overworked or not being able to see, you know, their caseload with the frequency that was necessary to actually make changes. You know, people, uh, SLPs are working in different settings and working very hard and often not able to make the difference that the people that are, you know, our patients really need. So you decided to make a difference in your life and in the lives of the kids that you work with. So what was that transition like from having regular jobs as like an employee to starting to be self-employed for yourself? So that's a great question, Jenna. So I, I worked at a private practice. I worked at a private practice before I started my own. Um, when working at that private practice, when I started there, I had no intention of leaving. Like I, I had some bad experiences. Like I said before, I, I worked at one place that my paychecks were bouncing and <laughs> we had to, yes, <laughs> it was literally like a rush on paycheck day to see who could get to the bank first before all the money was gone. Yes. The, uh, the, the ceiling tiles were caving in. It was just not a good spot. It was just not a good place to be in. Um, and so the job that I had before I went on my own, like I was ready to stay there. And I really, really, uh, I had great coworkers there. Like I, I really enjoyed it. But what really pushed me to go out on my own was exactly what you said was as I started to niche and I, I niched down a little bit before I even went out on my own, uh, I had already had my training for dyslexia and I was getting my training in myofunctional therapy. Uh, but having those niches, it made me even more passionate about the therapy that I was doing. And it made me even more unsettled with the fact that I couldn't do it the way that I wanted to, or not being able to, a great example is, you know, if I felt a child, if a child needed my service or what I could offer, but the schedule was full and I actually know two great therapists in the area who do something very similar to me. To me, it's the ethical thing to refer them out because these kids, especially with reading and literacy, these kids, like they don't need to be on a wait list. They need to be getting help. I don't care who it's, well, obviously I care who it's from, but they know what they're doing, but you know what I mean? Um, and then to be told that I was not allowed to refer those children out that they were to be kept in house and just 
because I was so passionate about what I was doing, it just made me, it just made me even more on fire for advocating for my patients. And just knowing that for a lot of the things that I, that I do personally, 30 minutes isn't enough. It's just not. And being in private practice, I was able to decide that, which I loved. And it's, and it's based off of, it's not based off of someone's convenience for scheduling. It's based off of what I decide that child needs based upon my expertise that I got this little like master's degree that's hanging on the wall for. (laughs) Just this little thing, this little piece of paper that's, it's like a doily or something. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. It costs a lot of money, but it's fine. It's (laughs) no did Jenna. (laughs) So, okay. So you had these unfortunately negative experiences decided to go out on your own had you ever thought about being in private practice? Like, is that something that you thought about doing like at some point in your career? Or did you always think that you would, you know, do just sort of the more traditional route? I had no desire to go into private practice. That was not, I, I know a lot of, a lot of SLPs that go into private practice have this sort of entrepreneurial bone or entrepreneurial spirit, which is great. We need that. We really need that. That was it. I wasn't kind of, that wasn't, I wasn't born with that. I really didn't have an interest in that. And I think it was one of my earlier posts on my Instagram that I said, I didn't start private practice because I wanted to. I did it because I had to. And it was just everything. It was quality of life. It was my relationships with my friends. You know, I was missing out on things with my godson because I was work. I was working or I was too tired because I've been giving so much of myself at work. And then just for, for my patients and at being able to advocate for them and also to get, provide them the best service. That's something, it was really hard for me, Jenna, to to be a generalist. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if I, there's actually an SLP I worked with, like she was great. I was like, how do you fit all of that information into one head behind two eyeballs? Like, I don't know how you do it. Um, But that's just not, that's not my personality. And there was almost honestly a a guilt once I started really getting into my niches and, you know, I would spend my time and my money on learning and training and these things. So, but I'd get a kid with AAC Mm -hmm. and obviously I'm a speech pathologist, like I can do it, but there was almost this guilt thing of, wow, like these kids that are coming to me for uh, like oral based uh, oral function deficits, dyslexia, reading they're getting like my top notch self. Whereas kids, you know, a kid coming to me with childhood apraxia speech, AAC, they're, they're not getting, it was almost a guilt thing. Like I felt like they could get a better quality service and I felt bad for not wanting to pay for CEUs for those things because those weren't things that I was interested in treating, but I had to treat them until I started my own practice. Totally. So in that, in that thing that you were just saying, you really hit on what I talk about the four F's of private practice, like the reasons why SLPs go into private practice, right? So, so what I tell people that the main four reasons, right, are freedom, flexibility, fulfillment, and finances, right? So as you were just talking about, you know, having the freedom to do the kinds of therapy that you wanted to do, right? The flexibility to have time with your grand or godson, not grandson, grandson. I look good for a grandma. (laughs) Godson, sorry. Um, Fulfillment, right? Being able to work with the kinds of clients that like fill you up and allow you to do your best work. And then the next thing that I would actually like to spend some time talking about, if it's okay, is finances, right? 
thinking about the financial aspects of starting a private practice. So tell us a little bit about like, how, how do you, or how did you get thinking about like, what kind of like financial aspects of private practice would be interesting to you? And how did you start to make that work from a business perspective? So I will say, and you go, you know, I'm about talking about money. I love talking about money. You know why? Because nobody wants to talk about it and it affects every area of our lives. Right. It doesn't buy happiness, but it buys you some options That's and right. it, and, and it buys food and groceries and cars and things that you need. Right. <laughs> so financially, and it's, and this is why I like to talk about a lot of my Instagram page, a lot of the responsible financial decisions that me and my husband made, even, you know, a few years before I decided to start on my private practice. Those decisions paved the way for me to be able to do that. Uh, a great example, you know, something that I tout is being, you know, we're debt free uh, aside aside from our mortgage, but we don't have credit card debt, car payments, anything like that. And the fact that we didn't have all of these our student loan payments because we paid off my student loans, um, the fact that we didn't have these same sort of hanging that we just had to pay our regular bills. Whenever we did have that transition of, you know, I had a dip, I, I decided to go full-fledged into private practice just because I, I worked for another private practice and I, I was not, I was an employee at the time. I wasn't a contractor or anything like that. And it just wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been a good situation for me to, to try and start seeing clients on this side while also working for that private practice. Um, so I, that's why I made the decision to just go head first. I told you that uh, my last day at my full-time job was the day that the schools closed for COVID, right? Yeah, I did tell you that. Okay, great. Uh, (laughs) But those decisions that we had made and those sacrifices we had made, you know, two and three years before that allowed it to be okay for us to have that sort of income dip while I built up my caseload. Uh, and even even opportunities like for my husband that were presented, you know, when he when he decided to get he, when he decided to get more serious about his career and his trade, we were able to take and it was it was almost kind of like we took turns. We were able to take a little time where I was kind of the breadwinner for a couple months while he was able to go look for something and and wait for the right one instead of seeking a job or for us as SLP seeking clients out of desperation he was able to be a little bit pickier. And now, I mean, he's been with that company for three years and they treat him very well. And, you know, he has a good relationship with all of his coworkers, things like that. So sort of operating us being financially ready or making those financial, financially responsible decisions leading up to me starting my private practice just made it so much less stressful. And we, and this is something I encourage people, even in my, even in my DMs, people will ask me, how do I know I'm ready? I said, do the math. All right. What do you need to live? And that that's something that me, me and Joe sat down and we did the math. And because of our particular situation, I could have not, I could have not made a dime for like seven months and we would have been okay. So that really helped take the pressure off. And, you know, what's that phrase? There's nothing, there's nothing stinkier than a, than a broke salesman. Is that what it is? Something like that. Something like that. That sounds Something like that where, you know, again, you're, you're not operating and not making decisions for your business out of desperation. Like, okay, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't give me some clients, like my kids are going to starve and we're not going to be able to pay for daycare. All right. (laughs) Totally. 
<laughs> well, I really liked how you said about the doing the math thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something I also often teach people about is say like, okay, what what is your student loan payment? How many clients would you have to see at X dollars per session to cover that loan payment for the month, right? Or another thing that I have people do is to think about where, how much money are they making? Let's just say a school system, SLP. What is your current salary in the schools? And because a lot of school systems publish like that ladder, right, where they show all of the you know steps for how to get to the highest um, salary range, like what is that, right? And just subtract, right? Okay, so what would be the highest amount you could ever earn at the school minus your current salary? And figure out how many clients you would need to see per month or per week, however you want to do it, in order to max out your salary like now versus waiting 20 years. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. That's exactly what we did. I knew I knew I needed five clients if I was gonna do if I was gonna do four days of therapy, because I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted to have Friday to just kind of do my admin stuff. Like that's kind of what I decided, especially, especially since my goal wasn't to, to hire in the near future. Uh, I just, I knew I was okay. I say Friday for admin stuff. I needed to see five clients for over those four days to make what I was making at my old job. Now that wasn't minus expenses and that is something to consider, but I mean, keep your overhead low. Like you don't, you don't need to go buy, you know, you don't need to go rent an expensive office space. You might not even need an office space, um, depending on if you're private pay or something like that. Um, you don't, you don't even need your EMR system right away. If you just have two clients, like you don't need to pay that 50, 60, $70 a month. Just keep it, keeping that low overhead, keeping it simple. It just, it takes all of the stress out of it. And then you can just gradually, as you make more money, Jenna, I didn't buy my first standardized test until, okay, three months ago. That's Um, what I hear all the time. People say, oh, I can't, I can't start with private clients. I don't have any assessments. I don't have all of the assessments. And I would say, you don't need them, right? You can start like, I also, you and I are of the same mindset, right? You start off lean. You start off as, as, um, less overhead as possible and you build up to those things, right? If you want to have the PLS and the self and whatever all the pediatric tests are that I can't remember right now because I'm an adult person, right? You can build up to those, right? You can you can wait and every every time you have a session, you put away 20 bucks or something to build toward having those tests that you need, but you don't need them to get started. Yes, you have to have the patience too. I think So many of us are very, a lot of us are results driven. And I think that's part of, you know, that's how, that's how you got into graduate school. That's how you, I mean, I say this all the time. If you became an SLP, you're not, you're not dumb. You're not lazy and you're not, you're not unwilling to do the work. It's your results oriented. It's just, but with something like this, it's okay. And to be patient with yourself and be intentional and understand, okay, where I want to be in one year, that's great, but you can't expect that of yourself two weeks in. Just baby steps, baby steps. And taking comfort and being content, knowing that you're taking the steps that you need to take to get where you want to be, even if you're not where you want to be. Like I had a good conversation with someone in my, in my DMs are great. I have like some of the best conversations. Please, like, please DM me. I love when people DM me about sort of Hey, I don't like my job. I don't like the pay. I want to basically like, I want to do what you're doing. Like, I like the idea of kind of just doing my own thing with my own private practice. And I want to specialize in feeding, but I haven't taken any feeding courses. And she was telling me all these things that 
she, you know, that she, the goals that she had. And I said, well, okay, so what are you doing to get there? And she said, oh, well, I'm, I'm taking this feeding course and, and I'm looking into how to get an LLC and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I mean, that's that, that sounds pretty good to me. Like, what? <laughs> so I said, I said, you, you're doing all, I mean, you're, you're not going to have your pride. You're not gonna be able to quit your job tomorrow. Um, I mean, you got bills and things like that, but I mean, you're, you're taking very intentional steps. You're not just being like, Oh, let's see what happens. Let me just throw it up in the air and see what happens. No, you're taking intentional steps. You're being intentional with your money. You're being intentional with your action steps to get where you want to be. And you just, you have to draw contentment from that for, for now especially when you're growing and you're not where you want to be, especially if you are in a job that you don't like. Cause I know that is a lot of the stories for some, for some of us. Totally. And don't you feel like SLPs tend to feel like they need permission to start a private practice? Oh, oh, heck yeah. It's like, it's almost like the audacity for you to feel that you can start a private practice. Like I kind of got, I kind of got my area is very competitive. Um, there's a lot of graduate programs in my area. There were some people who wished me well and were excited for me. And there were some people who basically said that, like, who do you think you are? It's like, I'm, my name is Danny Augustine. I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I have a master's degree and yeah, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But it's like people, you know, have an earlier, before we started recording, you and I were talking about perfectionism. And how that really can kind of get SLPs down. And I see that as one of the main reasons also why people never get started with private practice is because they keep waiting to get like all of their ducks in a row, right? SLPs love to get their ducks in a row, like totally fine. I do too, even though I'm a type B SLP, I do like to get ducks in a row. But the difference is if you wait to have every last duck in a row, you will never actually get started, right? So rather than waiting to get all of your ducks in a row, like get them in a row as you're actually starting your practice. Yes. And you can start, your story is your story. It doesn't have to be, so I don't think I've, I don't think I told you this, but I, I had two private clients for two years before I started my private practice. So like technically, I mean, I kind of had like somewhat of, it was, those were just, those are cash pay. But like, I, I did that for like two years before I decided I wanted to go and do this full time. And just like, that's, that's okay. Like this is yours. So don't compare, don't compare your private practice to somebody else's private practice. Like this is what you make it. And that's something I really appreciated about your program was that, cause I knew from the get go, I did, I've worked in, I've worked in a clinic and a, I've worked in a, it's a, I've worked in a private practice clinic and I knew I did not want to run that. I, I didn't want to run the sensory gym. I don't want to have the, I don't want to have OTs and PTs and three people. Not like I just, there's nothing wrong with that, but like, I ain't trying to deal with that. Like, that's just not my thing. And that that's okay. I don't have to adhere to that to be in private practice and to own it. And I used to think that that's what it was, right? Like when I first started my private practice, I had no idea that it could be like just you solo practitioner, seeing people in like in their homes or community locations. Like I thought that you literally had to have a brick and mortar clinic with a parking lot and a waiting room that had an aquarium and highlights for children magazine and multidisciplinary stuff. Like that's what I thought. Right. 
And so I've, I found it to be very refreshing to realize that that's one way to do it, right? But there's lots of ways to do it. And listeners, that's the entire point of this podcast. If you have, if I haven't been clear enough about that is to show that there's lots of different ways to have a private practice. So Danny, can you tell us like, what does your private practice look like, like right now? Like what, 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 like how many clients or like what kind of days or how do you structure your private practice? Yes. So, um, I do have, I'm in network with, I get this question a lot. So I'm going to volunteer the information. I'm in network with one insurance company. Uh, I do not intend on being a network with any more. Uh, I'm a network with one insurance company that works for that. And I did some research and I knew, I knew because I've, because I've kind of worked in this area a while, like I kind of, I kind of knew the reimbursement. Like, I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> Can I say that on here? Is that okay? <laughs> so I kind of already knew like which ones, what, you know, you know what I mean? We can, if you need to edit that out, you can. That, um, that's good. That's good. So, so quick, like sub point here is a lot of times insurance companies won't tell you that upfront, which is bonkers. Yes. To me. They make you sign a contract. Don't do that. Without <laughs> telling you how much they're going to pay you. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I just made one of those faces like Jim from the office makes, right? Like that's crazy. Right. So it's actually like smart on your part to, if you know what the reimbursements are, if you have like a friend that you can ask who, you know, go to the blue cross or whatever, you know, company's website and say, Oh, Hey, look, it's Sally from grad school. Like, let me talk to Sally and see like how her experience has been with blue cross. Mm-hmm. So I actually recommend that people do a little bit of sleuthing because sometimes insurance companies won't tell you and they'll make you sign the contract first and surprise, not a lot of money. Right. Or even just experiences. Like there's a a girl um, that I'm friends with. She has a private practice a few towns away. And she told me an insurance company she was in network with. And and I asked her, I said, have you had a good experience? And she was like, no, they, they want like 20 years worth of paperwork. They take six months to pay you. And it's just like, okay, I'm not like, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. Okay. So, so insurance or in that work yeah. with one insurance and yes. liking them enough, going to stick with them. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. See, Jenna's keeping me on track because she knows <laughs> I get lots of, lots of SLP squirrel moments. It's fine. So yes, I'm a network with one insurance company. And so my day to day I'm on the road. I do have an office, Jenna. Uh, it is a very low budget. It's a low budget office. It's not exactly in the area I want to be in, but they don't have anything that was within my price range in that area. So I'm actually a little bit further North than I'd like to be, but because of my specialty, they are willing to drive to me. Because because you can always have another location or move your location later. Yes, exactly. Like my lease is coming up in April and cause like, and and I'll share numbers. Like I pay like four, including internet. I pay like four 75 a month for my office, like super doable. It's one room. It's, it's a bigger, it's a bigger building. And we all share a waiting room, a kitchen. It's, it's clean. It's nice. I have, I have my one, it's like a good size therapy room. And that was because when I first started some of the other places I was looking at, I mean, I was like, I can't, a lot of these were like nine, 900 to a thousand dollars a month. And just like we said, so I'm not, I don't want to do that. That's just going to put so much pressure on me. And again, I calculated how many kids do I need to see to at least pay, to pay my bills because, uh, for my particular location. And this is also a little nugget for that insurance company. You have to have a physical, some sort of physical location to be in network with them. So, cause my original plan was to do purely home visits. 
I, I love home. It, some people don't. I love home visits. I still do them, but I had to have some sort of physical location to get a network with that company. And so it, it does end up working out because I have, I have my after school appointments for my kids that come to me for dyslexia intervention. And it works out for that because I, those, those spots are like gold, those after school spots. And so it allows me, it allows me to see them back to back versus if I were driving, if I were driving at that time during traffic time, I'd probably, I'd probably honestly only be able to get to one kid, maybe two. Whereas for my after school slots, I have, I have four to three slots for after school and those I see in my office. And during the day, um, I do a lot of work with the state's early intervention program. It's called Early Steps in Louisiana. I love it. So those pay, those clients, you have to see them in the home. Um, but I I love home visits, especially I do, you know, for it's birth to three, uh, a lot of model language. I do a lot of feeding. I just find in the homes, I just get so much better results. And that, that, like, that's why, that's why I did this in the first place. Uh, even, you know, little things like seeing, seeing what high chair they're in for feeding, like, oh, they're slumped over to one side in this chair. Let's see if we can help them fix that so we can get some better outcomes. But I love that. So I start in the morning. I'm usually, I'm on the road. I start pretty early and I, I see, I see them in daycares. I see them in the homes. I'll do, I start probably like 7.15 in the morning. And then I'm usually done with my, with my little bitties by 11.30, just because that's usually nap time and lunch time and things like that. And then I have a little bit of a break and then I have my after school kids. Um, I was originally having sessions until six, um, but that is something I've, I've decided I've, my practice has picked up now that people know who I am. My practice has picked up a lot more with that younger age. And I'm able to go to a couple of schools to see my school age kids for dyslexia intervention. So I'm actually, I have two kids that I'm about to dismiss that are in that last slot. I do like 510 to six o'clock. I do 50 minute sessions. And once I dismiss them, I'm actually going to close off those slots so that I can get home a little earlier because I don't want to, I'm realizing I really don't want to work till six and, totally. I, and I can do that because it's my private practice, which is awesome. And kind of putting things in place. Like I knew I was realizing I wasn't like getting, I wasn't liking getting out so late. So that's when I did get an opportunity to see a child for reading in their school and I was like, Ooh, this is a great way for me to still see my school age kids and do dyslexia intervention. Cause I love it without having to have these late, late appointment times. And so kind of building relationships, I've got another referral, um, within that school from the reading interventionist at that school who we've worked, we've worked very well together with a particular child. And I've actually gotten another referral from her and just building relationships it's allowed me to have more options. And even with my kids, with my EI kids that I see it during the day, I've been able to get more kids for, like I said, I love feeding anything, oral function. I love, I love it. Like it's awesome. And I've built good relationships with the PTs and the OTs within the early step space. And I've gotten a lot of referrals from them. When it's like, oh, you know, either it's time, it's time that we need to start working on speech or educating them on some very early indicators for oral dysfunction. So kind of 
one one example is having a that or, a oral resting posture where your tongue's kind of like hanging out of your mouth. But kind of we've had you know we'll go we'll go have margaritas. We get <laughs> and uh, kind of we educating each other and being open to each other's points of views. And now now I've gotten actually some referrals that way, and I've built up my caseload through that. Which, but that, that didn't happen right away, Jenna, like that, that took time. But now that I've built those relationships and I'm able, like working together with them, um, it's actually given me even more options with how I want to work my schedule and kind of front loading my day just because I prefer that. Well, and just like you said, like you get to make that choice, right? That that's one of the things that people say is that they want a more flexible schedule. So if you have the ability to be in charge of your schedule, then be in charge of it. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't recreate a job that you hate. Right. That has like crazy schedules. Right. And in the beginning, it's totally fine to see like crazy hours. Right. Cause in the beginning, you're just trying to build that caseload and build your confidence and build your income. And so it's totally fine to stretch yourself a little thin in the beginning because you're just trying to like get the whole thing up and running. But just like you said, now you don't need those six o'clock clients or, you know, five to six o'clock clients or whatever. So now as soon as, as you can be, you know, done with them, you're not going to replace those sessions. Yeah. Right. So I think that that is so smart on your part. So looking ahead, and I know we're still, you know, in the pandemic, things are still like a little bit crazy, but what do you see for yourself in the next year or so for your practice? So for the practice, I feel I find the practice is it's allowing me opportunities outside of just direct patient care. Like I love, I love, I've, I've really enjoyed being on Instagram and building a community there with speech goods. And there's some things that I want to pursue with that. And being in private practice allows me the time to like, I would never have been able to do speech goods or start a podcast if I was working for someone else. Like I never, like if I was at my old job, I would not have had any time or energy to do that. And again, that was not, when I started my private practice, that was not something that was in the back of my head. That was not an opportunity that was in the back of my head, but because I started my private practice, I was able to take an opportunity that presented itself or create an opportunity when I decided I wanted to do it, which was really great. But insofar as my private practice and and I've and I've said it on my Instagram page. I'm not interested in growing into a big clinic or anything. My area is very. I mean, there's four or five grad programs, SLP grad programs within a 50 mile radius. So there's a lot of speech pathologists in this area, and there's quite a few like clinics, like ni- nice clinics with the sensory gym and the swings and all that fun stuff. But one thing that's kind of been on my heart and I've I've been approached by one SLP is potentially taking on a contractor to do with early intervention. And honestly, it's not, it sounds so weird, but it's not a, Oh, let me, which first of all, ain't nothing wrong with making money. I'm just going to preface that, but it wasn't like, Oh, I want to hire someone so I can make some money off of them. That that wasn't my thought, but they nothing wrong with making money. We're going to just say that right now. Uh, but Honestly, Jenna, part of it was this is this is someone I know, and she she's a mom, has a little bitty baby, super, super cute. She wants the the flexibility, basically the flexibility of what I have, so that 
she's not forced where kind of where she is, where, where, they, where this particular person is with like a full-time job to work later than you want to, things like that. She wants like that flexibility of being able, you know, if you want to be done at two o'clock, you can be done at two o'clock and go see your baby. Like, that's fine. Or even something like if you, if you, if you need a break to, if you want, if you want a break to be able to go and breastfeed your child, like that's a real thing. Like if you need a break to end during the day, cause you want to go to your kid's daycare and breastfeed them. Like that's a, that's a real thing uh, that a lot of, you know, that mo- moms will kind of have to make that decision. And it's kind of been on my heart to, I've been blessed through private practice and to provide that, that flexibility for someone else who doesn't necessarily want to start a business. Cause that was something that was expressed to me. It was like, I don't, I don't want to start a business. I'm not, I just, I want to, I want to make my own schedule. I want to be in control of what's going on. I want to make good money. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to start a business. I don't want to worry about the admin work. I don't want to want to worry about billing. And so my sort of apprehension to hiring was sort of kind of kicked down a little bit. Like, why would you deny someone else what you love about what you do if you can provide that for somebody else? I think I kind of went like way the heck around in explaining that. But <laughs> well, I love that because you 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 basically talked about, you used the phrase creating opportunities, right? So through your private practice, you have created opportunities for yourself, right? Yeah. To be able to work on speech goods more, And maybe some financial opportunities will come out of that, you know, doing the podcast and then possibly hiring a contractor, right? You you have created several opportunities for yourself and potentially others so that you can get that, again, freedom, flexibility, fulfillment, and finances that you are after on your own terms, right? Mm -hmm. You do not have to have the big clinic, right? You can have a private practice that is perfect for you and do just what you want to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it. And I think that's super cool. Do you have any final like words of wisdom or thoughts or pep talk or anything for people who are thinking about private practice? They've been thinking about for a while, but they're still kind of on the fence. What would you tell people in that position? I would say confront your limiting beliefs because a lot of times what we say we, we make these things in our mind, like, well, I can't do that because of this. Well, I can't do that because of this. Confront those beliefs and give yourself more options. Like I always say, if option A sucks and option B sucks, there's 24 more letters. Go pick one, go pick one. Cause there's a million reasons not to do something, even for myself. Like there was a million reasons for me not to go into private practice. I have an area, I'm in an area that is so oversaturated with SLPs. It's very, very competitive. It's a very, not as many abundance mindset. It's not as much of an abundance mindset as I would, as, as I wish it would be. Um, and so far as the number of practices and things like that in this area, I know I just, it would just be myself. So like, oh, well, you can't do it. It's just you. Like, how are you special? Like, what are you going to do by yourself? Uh, I had, I did have some discouragement whenever I was talking about it. Like that same things that we were, that I was saying earlier, like who the heck do you think you are? The audacity. I just did it anyway. And it's awesome. It's so awesome. And it, and it doesn't have to happen this second and be patient with yourself and with the process. Because it is a process. And for some people, it's a longer process than others. You know, you're going to have real things that happen. I had someone message me that, you know, 
oh, like I'm worried I'm not going to be able to pay for my kid's daycare. Okay. Well that that's a real thing. And we should, I'm not saying just forget the kids. They can sleep on the lawn. Like definitely don't do that. But being really intentional with your decision-making and confronting those things that you say are making you not be able to do what you want to do because nine times out of 10, it's, it's up in your, up in your cranial area. That's keeping you from doing what you want and having what you want. And it's not a big, scary monster in the closet. Do you know how you get kids to not be afraid of a scary monster in the closet? You open the door and show them that there's nothing there. So just open the door, do the numbers Sit and have a real talk. If, you, if you're married or in a serious relationship, sit and have a real talk with your spouse. I could not have done this without the support of my spouse. Could not have done it without the support of my spouse. Uh, and just get some, something tangible to hold on to and then just do the dang thing. Like you can do it. People, people need us, Jenna. Do you know how many patients appreciate the fact that I come to the home? I don't. So if I had some big fancy clinic, like that's not something that I could offer, especially with COVID especially with COVID, a lot of my patients for like that have my little bitty babies, like baby babies, like zero to six months. They love the fact that I can come to the home. And that's something that, you know, I can offer that maybe a big clinic can't offer. So don't sell yourself short. Just go for it. It's awesome. It's so worth it. You'll love it. (laughs) Words of wisdom. And if you ever need a pep talk, you have to follow Danny on Instagram. Tell them again what your handle is so they can give you a follow. Yes. So if you want to hear all of my uh, ramblings and obnoxiousness, uh, it's really fun though. We have a good time. The handle is at, yes, at speech goods. And you'll see, you'll see me with like my little curls and stuff like that on the profile picture and shoot me a DM. If you have any questions about anything about my private practice, shoot me a DM. I am going to start answering questions on the podcast that people submit to me. So I I want you to feel encouraged by this and know that you have options and don't, don't box yourself into a corner um, because nobody puts baby in a corner. Just saying. (laughs) Okay. Do you love Danny as much as I do? I honestly think that she is a breath of fresh air. I love her no-nonsense, real-talk approach, especially as she described her path to private practice, and I hope that you've come away with tips and a pep talk of sorts that you can do this too. Now, Danny is an alum of the Start Your Private Practice system, which she mentioned in the interview. The good news is that enrollment for the Start Your Private Practice system is opening soon. So if you've been putting off starting your private practice for a while, and you want to get the support that you need to get your ducks in a row and get started with confidence and hang out with Danny, myself, and over a thousand other SLPs who are building private practices in every single state in the U.S. and a couple of people internationally. Our folks are working with kids and adults and everyone in between. You need to make sure that you are on the wait list so as soon as the program opens, you will know about it. Head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist and sign up right now so that you will be the first to know when we reopen because I want you to have access to all of our checklists and our comprehensive videos and also our amazing mentor team of SLPs with private practices who lend their knowledge and support to our students every single day. There is no better time to get started and there is no other program that will give you the A to Z approach with ongoing assistance when questions come up. 
We only do big public enrollments a few times each year, and I don't want you to miss out. So head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist, and I'll let you know as soon as we reopen. I cannot wait to help you start your private practice. I decided to invest in the Start Your Private Practice program because I honestly had no idea where to start. (laughs) And I just didn't really have the confidence or the know-how to be able to do that. So it was really nice to have a system that was all set up for me. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. It was all there for me. And I was able to land a client within about the first week and a half of me going public with my private practice. So now I have 12 clients. It is such an invigorating and amazing experience. If you want help to start your speech therapy private practice, then head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist so that you will be notified as soon as we reopen the doors to the Start Your Private Practice system. Again, that's startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist. I cannot wait to help you start your private practice. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.